Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. This is Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, Bob Huggins. I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham is spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, Big Meach 41 And now, I can officially say this, on season two, I am now on TikTok, at Alex Meacham 41 This is a special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. The Bearcat Basketball Podcast is now presented by the Healthcare Management Group. And shout out to everyone at HCMG, and thank you for the support. Bearcat fans, I'm excited to welcome in our next guest. This former Bearcat player was part of one of the most successful and popular teams in Bearcat history, current color commentator for the Bearcat basketball team. He is the triple OG from the LBC, <laughs> Long Beach, California. Hey, hey, I'd like to welcome in my guy, number 33, Terry Nelson. What up, T-Nell? Meach, Meach, what's going on? Oh, man, just trying to deal with this snow, bro. <laughs> right. How about you? It, deal with it. Man, I, you know, I manage apartment complex, so there's a whole crew of people that's been going you know, we got several of the uh, maintenance men that were, you know, trying to clean the lot. You know, when you have those big plows, you push all the snow in back of every parked car. <laughs> so oh, wow. they have a hard time getting out, you know. Uh-oh. I'm sure that didn't go over well. How did you do? Uh, you, you managed for the streets today? Did you record uh, any TV today? Yeah, we had our uh, recording for Bearcats Insider, which will air you know, Wednesday at uh, 6 p.m. and then several times throughout the week. But, uh, yeah, we had a recording this. Uh, it was the streets, a lot of accidents on the freeway. Really? I believe yeah. it. I believe it. Um, hey, give us uh, an update on your family. I'm sure most people listening to this podcast are already up to speed on what happened. But but just give us an update and let us know if there's anything else we can do as part of the, the Bearcat Nation to help you guys out. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, physically they're healing. My mom is now able to stand up out of her wheelchair, walk around and get some things done. Um, awesome, you know, she, awesome. Yeah, you know, she broke her uh, femur in three spots, ankle, broke her ankle, dislocated her shoulder, burn marks on her hands, some problems with her back. But she is, she's healed miraculously. She's healing. Doing Great. well. My sister's up and walking and back to being as grumpy as ever. <laughs> and, uh, and my niece who broke her back and then she was uh didn't she was paralyzed in one of her legs she's actually up on treadmills now and they're walking and they're working her really really hard oh, she's got to use a um a walker for now but she says you know Unc, in about a month or two i want to get rid of all this she wants to be back to where she was so she's got some feeling now in her leg uh it's the strength is starting to come back she gets out of therapy. She's been in therapy since this happened on December 11th. And, and so she gets out on the 24th of uh, this month. Oh, wow. 
Well, hey, listen, we are uh, definitely happy that your family's doing better and on the right road. And um, you, you must, you know, Terry, it's it's funny, you know, you play college sports, and, and I tell young people that I work with that when you're part of a high school program or if you're fortunate enough to play college basketball, you become part of, you know, that college basketball program, you, you build pockets of families, right? And and Terry, you are like I said in the introduction. You are the triple OG of, of Bearcat basketball. You are the one that everybody looks towards, you know, especially with the former players. And it's been awesome to see the Bearcat family kind of put their arms around you when you needed it the most. That's, you know what? That's that's awesome too because you're so right. When you pick a university to go to school. You always have to think long term. Like, is this a place that I want to live when it's over? And I knew when I came out here, I said I want to stay here. I didn't want to, people ask me how come you didn't go back to Long Beach. Long Beach is, you know, California is beautiful. I said, well, it's over. It's just, it's expensive, overpopulated. Uh, everybody wants to be an actor or an actress or some type of entertainment thing, mm-hmm. and it's just I wanted to stay. It's like Cheers. You know, you want to stay where everybody know your name. Why build a name <laughs> for yourself and then leave? You know, you see guys starting to come back now. Like, you know, I stayed here. Guys like Steve Logan, Art Long, like all these guys want to come back now. Uh, I know even Justin, Jennifer, and Kane Broom are talking about relocating back here to Cincinnati because these are all your resources. When yeah, you need help, sure. the people that cheered for you, that people that wrote checks for scholarships and all the other stuff, they're, they're here as a resource. The university, I have linked, just like you, uh, I have linked my name with the university. Everything mm-hmm. I've done to help promote the university, whether it be through, you know, commentating or events or running the Athletic Alumni Association, the C-Club, um, you know, whatever it is, like, I love the University of Cincinnati. And then when mm-hmm. I had a family emergency, I just sort of put out to my Bearcat family, I need some help. This is what happened. And when they saw the videos, they responded. And so I'm thankful for the city of Cincinnati. Well, and Terry, we should, in a lot of ways, I think the city of Cincinnati is saying thank you to you because you've done so much. And one of my business advisors that you know, Alan Costner, um, we're both, both you and I are very good friends with Alan, and he's mentored you, he's mentored me. He gave me some great advice years ago, and I think you're a great example of this. And he told me, when I finished playing basketball for UC, I showed up to his office, I had my UC Bearcat Letterman coat on, I had my you know, Bearcat gear on. And he said to me, he goes, you want to be able to move beyond that, that you were just a former player. You want to do things in the community. You want to be involved with the university, but, you know, kind of get away from just being a former player and, and do so much more. And you, you've done that. Of course, everybody knows Terry Nelson played for the Bearcats, but they think about the color commentary. They think about all the different things you, you do, and I think you're a great example of that. So I think the uh, community was, was basically saying back to you. Thank you, Terry. So, um, appreciate is there, it. You're right. I'm, you know, whether it be the, the um, school assemblies, you know, you and I have done assemblies at the universities, whether it be mm-hmm. at high schools, middle schools, junior highs, Giving back, doing, I have PowerPoints. I work with, uh, you know, teams and, and doing uh, leadership training with teams. Like just different things that you try to leave an imprint because the entry, the doorway that opens is from the university. This mm-hmm. is Terry Nelson, former UC Bearcat. Secondary is 
hey, this is a guy that, you know, he does, he's a radio voice or the Bearcast TV voice. Mm-hmm. So that's another entry. And then that gets their attention, and then you can continue to build into people. But I mm-hmm. never, like Alan said, I never wanted to just be a former player and just take, take, take. Because as a former player, when I shot a ball in the gym, it was seven to eight managers getting a rebound and trying to get the ball back to me. You know, <laughs> I had all the shoes I wanted, all the gear. Uh, that, you know, we can have, you know, we didn't wear jeans and all that stuff. You know, we wore sweatsuits and all the other stuff the university gave us. You, you, they brand you, and in turn, the fans and everything wants to look like you, so they buy all the all the stuff. Well, right. when it's over, you got to find a way to take all that goodness that was given to you and give it back to the next generation. I mean, as elders in the UC basketball program, it's up to us to start the next generation. I mean, teams weren't pressing until we start pressing. <laughs> right, right. Everybody wants to yep. do the UC press. A lot of these coaches that are coaching down in high school were at all our practices. You know, you saw them on the sidelines. Yep. They were getting the notes. Hugs had DVDs and books and everything on defense and pressing. And they emulated what we did in this whole culture. So there's a whole culture of people in the last 30-plus years that resemble us. And so it's up to us. And you do a fantastic job of mentoring guys in your shine program uh, you Thank know, you. every time I see you at a game, you got another player with you. Uh, yeah. You showcase people on social media, all these young players, and and you you see their graduations, and you I mean you do so much. And even with this Bearcat Bear basketball podcast, uh, hearing and capturing the stories, you know, back when we played, we had Bill Cook and we had uh, you mm-hmm. know Michael Perry and all these guys that would capture whether it be the Post, the Enquirer, whatever. Now the shift in the economy or the world is podcast. And so yep. you have become sort of our Bill Cook. So you're the keeper of the stories. So you bringing these stories in or putting shine, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> on, on former like players. It. Yeah, so yeah. people who haven't heard of Lavelle Durden or, or, you know, all these other guys don't know the story of Art Long, you're getting firsthand knowledge. And what it's doing is letting people know, man, okay, what's Art doing now? Great. Right now that people know how they can get a hold of them, how they can help them, and it gives people the shot. Like you and I have been in the spotlight ever since we finished playing. Mm-hmm. A lot of yeah. these guys that just went into a family life and a work life, and people say, who else is on your team? Oh, yeah, I remember. Like they have to reach into their data bank. Sure. But you sure. have provided a platform. So part of what you've done is you're constantly giving back. And then the more you give, it frees you up to receive more. It's just like a pot. If your pot fills with water and you just hold on to the water, you can't receive any more water because it's already filled. The minute you pour some of that water out and give it to the thirsty people around you, now you free up space for more water to come to you to disperse it. Well said. Well said, T. And with that being said, I think it's a great segue to talk about this Bearcat family. Let's talk about this current Bearcat basketball team. Now, this segment is sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Cincinnati. They have a new flexible bachelor's degree that will allow you to graduate conveniently and affordably. You won't lose any credit or have to start over. I'll get you more information in future podcasts about that. Now, Terry, let's jump into this Bearcat team. Um, They go on a 25-day pause after the Wichita State lost. and, And at that point, let's just be honest, they weren't playing the best basketball in the world. You know, they had only won three games to that point. 
return from this pause with, with very limited practice time, a short roster. They just had to deal with a lot of adversity. Now, this, be, this basketball team could easily be 0-4 after the pause. Instead, they're 4-0. Terry, can you explain what this basketball team is doing? They're playing for the name on the front of the jersey instead of the name on the back. You know, mm-hmm. guys are starting to get comfortable with each other. They're starting to understand their role within the system. They know when they're checking into the game if they're, if they're not starters. They know what the coach is putting them in the game for. Um, they've had games this year. I mean, you're playing Tennessee, number 12 at the time. You lose by nine on the road. You play Furman. You, lose, uh, you win that game by five. You lose to X by eight. You lose to Georgia really big, you know, by 15. It was probably much bigger than that. UCF, you lose by five. You lose by four to Tulsa. You lose by, uh, you know, six to Wichita State. So all these, they were close. They five in a row, uh, they lost. Six out of seven, they lost. And then they were postponed for three weeks. So mm-hmm. people will think, yes, like you said, gosh, you know, all these games off, they haven't had a full practice schedule. Managers are doing drills instead of the players. <laughs> right. Managers are in practice, and they have to play with less. And what that mm-hmm. did was it allowed other people to showcase parts of their game. It allowed the coach to allow some people to play through some of the mistakes. Yep. You know, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't drill. Uh, you know, take a guy out because he did something wrong and try to, you know, put another guy in. He couldn't do that because he didn't have the, you know, the manpower. And so because of that, you start seeing them start to finish games off. They started to learn the recipe for winning. Instead of just trying to give the ball to Keith and get out of the way like Jaron Cumberland, everybody expected to be like that when when it's your team. No, they got it from different people on the floor, and everybody took – they bought into the, to the idea that any particular day can be my day. And it can mm-hmm. be within that game I can have moments. Like we, we saw we saw the other day where – uh, you know, Keith had it going, and then Jeremiah had it going. And then all of a sudden, to close the game out, it was uh, DeJulia, you know, three straight buckets. You know, so you start to see in the system when it's spread, when you're digging down defensively, playing the way you're supposed to be playing, being scrappy, leaving nothing on the floor, playing with emotion, playing for with each other. No lead is safe against this Bearcats team because they, they know how to fight and scrap. And I think that's been the key, Alex. Yeah, for sure. And then, and, and so let's talk about uh, someone you just mentioned, David DeJulius. Like that that Temple game, he was he was just playing a, a different brand of basketball than I had seen prior to. And I, I thought he's I thought he's played well, but that was a different kid. He played thirty five minutes, twenty six points. He he really turned this basketball team around. Can you talk a little bit about his play so far since the pause? Well, he's. He's a breakdown artist. Mm. He's so good at, at, you know, on the ball, giving you a crossover, a heavy, you know, he, he gets, when he does his, you know, his crossover pullback dribble, his legs are almost like doing the splits. That's hard <laughs> to guard. When you yeah. think, you know, the guy is going to blow by you because he's coming off that screen, he's going downhill, then he does a pullback dribble, and you try to close him out real quick, and then he crosses you back over, and he goes to the hole and jumps into you and shoots that floater. So mm-hmm. Coach wants him. He says he doesn't want a crossing guard <laughs> at the point mm-hmm. guard. You know, he wants more of an Axel Foley, Beverly Hills cop, you know, somebody <laughs> loose with him. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't falling for the banana in my tailpipe. <laughs> right. 
That was just that was just on TV the other day, man. Whenever that whenever Beverly Hills Cop is on, I stop what I'm doing. I'm like, right. I, I gotta I gotta watch this. You gotta love, you gotta respect the classes, baby. <laughs> no doubt about it, Axel Foley. But, but as a 26 point, you know, when they only had 63, he was aggressive. Mm-hmm. He was attacking. He was going downhill, and I think he can do that more because I think he dances a little bit too much at the top of the key because uh, he's trying to get a guy loose, loose, and all of a sudden he passes it. And I'm like, look, when you got a guy crossed, take him. Yeah. Take him, you know, but he is starting to find guys know when he's dancing at the top, they know to get into position because he may dance to create the, the second layer player. All all breakdown artists believe they can beat the first guy. They're looking mm-hmm. to see whatever way they go, who's going to respond in the help side defense. And then they kick it to that person's man. So, if you saw a couple times where he broke the guy down, help side came, kicked to the quarter to Jeremiah or to uh, Micah Adams-Woods, and they bombed away from three. And I'm like, this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. We've been waiting yep. for this for a long time for a point guard to be able to have a strong body, be able to score, demand, you know, be a ball hawk on defense, but also be able to, you know, find teammates and get them going. And we're seeing all this coming off a, a 25 25- day period in which these guys haven't been together, which is so very impressive. And and I want to talk about a guy who prior to the the four the four game run here and the, the winning streak, I think one of the most criticized guy on the basketball team has been Chris Vogt. Um yeah. you know, fans are consistently kind of at his neck and he saw you know that but I'm telling you what, the kid is playing better. Um, I see them getting him the ball more in certain positions where they weren't doing that before. Um, what, what's the difference? What are you seeing in Chris now that we didn't see before? Offensive rebounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was top five in the conference last year in offensive rebounding. And not having a Trey Scott to loosen some of those balls up where everybody had to pay attention to Trey Scott. That's a great point. And he those offensive rebounds. That is a so, great point. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you take you take that he's offensive rebounding, and then he's starting to become more of a basket protector. Don't necessarily have to block the shot. You know, he had six two games ago, and then last game he didn't have any. But I thought his defense was good because he walled up and made you shoot the ball over him. But offensively, he stands, and he gets pushed around a lot off the block and off the way he wants to post, unless it's a swing where he where he seals the guy. But when the ball is just on the side and he is standing and the guy is trying to push him off the lane, the official is allowing a little rough play for the younger, you know, the smaller guys. you got a guy 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, In our conference, we don't have a lot of bigs. So you got a guy, you know, 6'8", playing, that's your forwards. So they get smaller than him, and they push him, and they mm-hmm. push him in the legs. And because he stands straight up, he has no power in his base. So he gets pushed around. And then when that ball gets swung and he seals, he's low. He swings those elbows and he extends <laughs> that left hand off the glass. Yep, yep. Well, I'm I'm happy to see you know his progress and and building some confidence. I think at one point last game, can't remember who threw him the pass, but uh, they fed him in the post, turn score, got an and one, and I just saw Keith Williams just kind of pump his fist and go over and high five him, and you could just see Chris like, yeah, okay, I can do this. So I'm glad to see his progress. Now. To talk about Keith, um, Bearcat fans, I think, expected a little bit more uh, from Keith this year. Uh, and I, I think, listen, there, there's been games where he's just shown 
glimpses of what we expect. I mean, just that greatness of so superior athleticism. He's an elite scorer, but it's kind of been, you know, off and on. Now, I think he's playing better. What can we expect from Keith moving forward? Much of what you've seen before. If he if he if if he learns to play he's got two things. You gotta learn to play under control. Uh huh. You know, and he's gotta learn to set a foul trouble. So those are the two things, is shot collection and foul trouble. We know he can score. We know he's a bucket getter. We know he's a tenacious defender. Um, we know he can jump out of the gym. But he takes shots sometimes that are just off balance, one leg yep. floater going the opposite way where he can't rebound it if he misses it. Uh, when he drives and goes left, he, sh- he jumps off one leg and then shoots and then throws himself out of bounds, and he can't rebound the ball. And so mm-hmm. they're bad angled shots. He doesn't try to use the glass. He's, you know, just trying to shoot, you know, floaters in there. And then, you know, he, the aggressiveness when he turns it over and he's kind of embarrassed, so he tries to get it back. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And he fouls. And he, he gets that foul. He gets that cheap foul. Yep. Yes, he gets a cheap foul. And then the coach takes him out. He's, you know, starts shaking his head, goes on the bench. <laughs> and then he comes I get, back into I see, the game. I'm seeing all this in my head as you're saying it. It's like a, <laughs> I'm seeing it, yep. And then he comes back into the game, and he'll do some good, and then he'll take some shots that are rushed because he hasn't touched the ball. You know, the ball is swinging left to right, left to right, and it comes to him and stops. And I get it because it's supposed to be, you know, his chance to, to do what he's got to do, but his decision-making at times has to get better because mm-hmm. his talent level is there, and when he gets into a groove, he can run off 10, 12 points in a row. He can find guys. When he starts looking for guys, because everybody knows in the league, when Keith catches the ball, secondary defender must be prepared to jump in front of the circle. He's had a charge in, I think, every game this year. Man. Multiple charges in several games, in multiple games. Uh, but he just he doesn't know how to stop and pop. He won't so consistently me, do it. Okay, let me ask you. Let me ask you, why, why is that? Because, I mean, if you look at it, it, there's 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 definitely three levels of the scoring. You know, you've got the three-point shot, you've got the mid-range, and you got all the way to the basket. And he's pretty much been just doing two things, either all the way or shooting, a, you know, the deep shot. That mid-range shot, he can shoot it. He can elevate high. I mean, he would cut down on so many of those charges if he just stopped and popped. But what do you, you think is going on in his mind that he's not doing that? Well, Coach Brandon doesn't like that shot, first of all. He likes – Three-pointers and layups. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think the mid-range is a good shot statistically based on the analytics. But if it's between a stop and pop or a charge, guess what he should do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> stop no question. and pop. But he's got to learn when he goes baseline. Like when he attacks baseline, because he's a tremendous baseline player. Very few people can play on the baseline like him. When he goes baseline, that secondary defender – the opposite side post guy is going to come over and he's going to wall up outside there. If he learns to hop step sideways and kick it to a perimeter three point, you know, an opposite side, whether on the wing or in the corner, the opposite side shooter and relocate, he'll make everybody better. He did it a couple of times last game. Uh, and I was like, unbelievable how the game is so easy when he uses his skill yeah. to get everybody else open. If he can mm-hmm. do that, and avoid the charge, 
He will save himself because we're a better team when he's on the floor, when he's not taking bad shots, and when he is not turning the ball over. I, I agree 100%. Now, let me ask you, if you look at the, the last four games that they've won, um, they won by three against Temple, what, three against Tulane, two against the second gamers Temple, and one against uh, UCF. And, and and me watching every single second of every single game, there were points in the second half where they could have blown these four teams out. Yeah. But they, but they didn't. What did they need to do to start blowing teams out? Well, guards got a rebound, and they got to continue to rebound to close out the possessions defensively. Uh, you know, they gave up too many offensive rebounds. Um, guys are standing and, you know, watching. They go up by seven or eight. They make a little run, and all of a sudden the coach calls timeout because he wants to cement that memory in there, and they come right back out and give up a three. Right back mm-hmm. out, turn the ball over, or they don't get a 50-50 ball. The other team gets it, and they convert. And you got The way the season's been going, every tough shot that people have shot against us with in the shot clock situation seems like it's been going in. Mm-hmm. And Mitch used to yep. say that with, with his teams. It seems like, you know, the year before we had the breakout year when Gary won the, you know, all those awards, it seemed like everything that they did, when they had Octavius Ellis, like they never had any luck. And then yeah. they had Gary Clark. And then when Gary came, came with Kyle, they started getting lucky. They started, mm-hmm. you know, Troy, Troy started getting some luck. And they had really good point guard play. And, you know, Troy didn't turn the ball over. And so you started seeing that situation that's happening and you say yeah this team is on the verge of blowing some teams out I know they don't like winning uh don't like all the close games but you build something when you win close games yeah sure something about you especially almost every game they've been in they've been down double digits (laughs) yep almost every game they've been down double digits but they find a way very quickly to tie the game up <laughs> or even yeah. take the yep. lead. Yep. But if, if they don't, like, they, they're playing out of position. Jeremiah Davenport, as good as he is offensively and as a spot-up shooter and an energy guy, and, and he can just fly out score, he's playing out of position. He's playing a stretch four because mm-hmm. they, they want, you know, to, to keep the floor spread. So he's down there playing with guys 6'7", 250, and they're bullying him on the offensive glass. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where when it's a man-on-man situation, when that shot goes up, He's got to learn to turn and put that forearm in the chest, box the guy out right where he is. Don't let a guy, instead of turning around looking for the ball, don't let a guy push you under the basket, which was happening in Wichita. They pushed it right under the basket and got rebound after rebound. Same thing happened when we play at home. They push him under the basket. So as he gets stronger in his legs, with his work ethic and his attitude, he's going to be tremendous because everything you want a basketball player to be, Jeremiah Davenport fits that bill. Never mm-hmm. take Never takes days off in practice. He never, you know, dogs it, doesn't talk back, plays fiery, family full of athletes. So he knows kind of the culture of what an athlete's supposed to be like. Yep, agree 100%. Um, and this segment is sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Cincinnati. And, Terry, I want to jump into uh, this game versus Houston coming up Sunday. Oh, and by the way, do you think they'll schedule a game? between now and Sunday, or you think they're just going to play Sunday? No, it's, it's just kind of unfair to uh, – unless they – if it's a game where you see – it's going to come to UC. But 
coaches preparing to get a week to play Houston. Didn't want to do an out-of-conference game because, you know, with, with travel, um, with all the protocols, we didn't want to do something that was out-of-conference. If, by chance, there was another team of those five of the six that were canceled, one was rescheduled, which was the Temple game, if they can somehow make that up uh, in between then, they will. But as Tuesday, that game would have to be Thursday. I don't know if they would do a Friday, Sunday. Yeah, that's so UC would have to go. Yeah, so UC would have to go to Houston to do that. So I just think it's a wrap. I think they had a chance to do it. I thought all along when I saw the schedule and I saw this week, I said yep. they're going to use this week as a makeup week. I did too. I did too. But I think the you know the weather you have to take that into effect. The weather is they're they're oh, yeah. predicting more snow coming, and so there's all all those factors. So and they and they've dealt with enough adversity already. And going into this Houston game. I, I I like it because, you know, this team, obviously on a four-game winning streak, starting to build some confidence. And, and you're going and playing the best team in the league in, in Houston. You're going at Houston. So it's going to be a great test. What are your expectations for that game? I just expect them to scratch and claw and um, play with fire. But they're going to be tested like they haven't been tested all year long mm-hmm. since the Crosstown shootout. And Crosstown shootout, both teams were raw because it was so early, you know, the first game of the season. But, you know, you talk about what's going to happen with uh, Houston. Houston, Kelvin Sampson built his whole team based around beating UC. When wow. the first, when they first got in the league and Mick Cronin and, and those, those boys was just beating them up because they were physically <laughs> bigger. You, Cronin had men that had been through the program, you know, so he had veteran teams. And so – what he did is he had all his guys. I mean, you can go back and look at the YouTube videos on their on the, on their channel, and they adopted a slogan, uh, "Toughest team in America." And they started hitting uh-huh. the weights, and they started doing all this stuff to to really build muscle on their bodies. Their guards look like running backs. Yeah, they got three or four. I call them goons that are just bigs that all they do is foul. They play big. They play physical. They rebound. They set screens. And they use their five fouls. They don't really care if they score because it's mm-hmm. a guard-dominated team for Houston. So when I look at that, they're coming in there with the preseason player of the year on Houston, and they're going to be jacked. They're always jacked for UC. So some of these young guys are going to get baptized really quickly um, in intensity. Yes, they got it in Georgia. Yes, they understood it in Tennessee. I don't expect a blowout. I do expect Tennessee, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Houston to get up double digits. I expect Cincinnati to fight back and tie or if not even go up themselves. It would shock me if Cincinnati came out on top. Every game that they played pretty much, they had started out slow except this last game. But Houston playing at home and the firepower they have and the numbers they can throw at you and guys that have been through that system, I expect Houston because – you know they're going to come out and play the best that they can play because they want to they want to stick it to Cincinnati. If they can beat yeah. Cincinnati by twenty, they're going to try to beat them by thirty. <laughs> they just try yep. to go at it. So Cincinnati will get tested very quickly with the toughness. And what gets me is we don't have a lot of depth at the uh, forward position. You know the front line position. You got Tara, you got Mamadou, and you got Chris Bolt. Mm-hmm. It's just not enough. It's not enough. To, to, to bang with Houston. So the guards are going to try to help. They're going to have to come knock some 
you know, double down and try to get some, some dig outs and then recover back to their three-point shooters. But I just don't hope we get bullied by the guards of Houston. Yeah. And and another thing that I that I see, you know, I was around a coach uh, probably around 10 years ago, and this coach taught me a philosophy that he had, and that is he always looks at the first two minutes and the last two minutes of both halves for his college basketball team. And he goes, you know, I script so much stuff. I talk to our players about being sharp the first two minutes and the last two minutes. And if you go back and look at this Bearcat basketball team and their games, especially if you look at the last two minutes of the first half and the first two minutes of the second half, every game, it's just, they're sloppy at times. And I'm like, if they can clean that up, man, they would make some big strides. Because yeah. the game, of, you know, the game of basketball, it's all about runs, you know. Yep. And in the middle, so what this coach was telling me, in the middle of those two two minutes, uh, the, the book ends, in the middle, there's going to be runs back and forth. It's just a game mm-hmm. of basketball. And it is what it, but if you can be sharp and focused the, the first two and the last two, you always have a chance. And if they can do that versus Houston, um, you know, I think they'll be right there in that ball game. And, and, and so as I'm talking about coaching, I do want to segue into Coach Brannon. And if you look at prior – uh, to the four-game run, uh, tw- uh, talking about Twitter specifically, <laughs> Twitter was just like, hey, Coach Brandon's not the guy for this program and blah, blah, blah. And now, after the four-game winning streak, people are starting to, you know, understand they've had to battle through adversity, and Coach Brandon, I think, has done a nice job really working, you know, through that and, and with this group. And people started to change their their song. They're singing a different song. So, what what are your thoughts on Coach Brandon and what he's done this season so far? Man, I love Brandon. It's a tough season. I mean, look at the top fifteen programs in college basketball, win wise, over the you know all time wins. None of them are in the top twenty five. That's crazy. That's that's yeah. got to be the first time ever. Yeah. So because the top programs are one and done programs. Other than Michigan yeah. State, you know they 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 have some guys that, that stick around, but when you get to that level, they go to those programs because of the exposure, and so they can play one year and get out of there, and sometimes mm-hmm. even two. So, but what COVID did this off season, I'm, I'm relating this to, to Coach Brandon and the reason that you have the, the the gap in the losses that we had early. When, when they got on campus, as you know, Mike Rayfield used to be the guy that get their bodies in shape. So they would go mm-hmm. from, you know, 215 to 220, but they dropped, you know, 8% body fat, and, you know, they got muscle, they jump higher, their, their long jump is higher, you know, all this stuff that gets higher. And then they have three hours a week to work with players. So they would do three, three groups of, you know, you and I have been in those things where they got, you know, three guards, and they're doing shooting drills, they're doing three forward snacks, and then, you know, the bigs and all that stuff. And so they teach the offense from uh, increments of three. So if a guy goes here, we're going to do some baseline shooting. We're going to do some back cut shooting. We're going to do on-the-ball pick-and-roll shooting. We're going to do all this. We're going to teach the defensive drills in three-man increments. They do all this. And then when the season starts, they put it together, and it flows quickly. So they only spend a couple days making sure it's fine-tuned, putting it together almost like an automobile maker, you know, putting all the parts together. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they start putting in their specials. You know, a game or two in, they start adding more plays. They couldn't do that. 
So all the high school kids came in with high school habits. They came in yep. with the ADU habits. They came in with what they got recruited for, which was their ability to shoot and dunk and all this stuff. But on the college level, everybody can do that. The guy who never gets in the game can dunk and shoot three. Watch the layup line. Some of the best dunkers never get in the game. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, right. And it's one of those things where you have to learn how to win, and you have to have habits established and built. They didn't get a chance to do that. So the veteran teams in college basketball are balling this year, you know, but the one, the young teams are struggling because college basketball won't wait on you. If you haven't had – you got talent, that's good. But if you haven't had a chance to work that talent to take on the, men, the mentality of the school that recruited them, Cincinnati is known for toughness. And, 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 I, and I have a story to really piggyback what you're saying. Um, if you look at the growth of Kenyon Martin from his freshman year to his senior year, um, you know, he's one of those players of a long list of Bearcats that improved so much. If you remember uh, Kenyon kind of coming into the Bearcats program as a dunker and a shot blocker, and that's all he was, and he transformed his game. Well, I remember one off season. Uh, I was working out with Terrence Davis. You remember TD? Yes, sir. And TD and I, every day, were in Lawrence Hall, and we were working on ball handling, shooting, every day for like two hours. And he was doing it to get ready for overseas, and I was just trying to do it so I could get better and compete in practice, so I could push the Melvin Levitts, the DeWan Bakers, and the Steve Logans. That's all, That's the reason I was doing it. And one day... Kenyon Martin comes in and he was work. He had just got finished lifting and the bigs were going to do some workouts after Kenyon came in and he was like, what, what are you guys doing? And TD's like, Hey man, we're working on ball handling and mid range. And, and Kenyon said, Hey, can I come in tomorrow with you guys? TD's like, yeah, that's cool. So do you know, Kenyon Martin came in every day. He went, he lifted weights. He came in and worked out with us and doing guard stuff and then worked out with the bigs. And I'm going to tell you what, the transformation of his game from the season prior to then that season was amazing. And it turned him into the number one player in the country, hands down, and one of the mm. top college basketball players ever. And to your point, you look at a lot of these guys that played even last year with the Bearcats, they didn't get that type, they couldn't get that experience that Kenyon was doing going to the you know school and getting all these workouts in because of the pandemic. And people have to understand that, T. That's right. They, they, they only see wins and losses. Fans, they live in chat rooms. You know, they don't, they don't live in practice. <laughs> they don't live on campus. They live in chat rooms about what somebody else said. You know, somebody said this, I heard this, and all of a sudden people start giving opinions on what somebody heard and what somebody said. But when you see the people that put in the work, uh, I remember, you know, Kenyon working with Chuck Mayshock and learning the back out move instead of just, you know, Kenyon didn't really have an offensive game like he said when he first got there. He stood under the basket and goaltended shots, mm-hmm. and, you know, because he never – he didn't have the footwork. Chuck taught him, you know, footwork a little bit, how to get away. Harrison taught him how to play some post defense. And, you know, instead of just trying to block shots all the time, he became a defender. And that's a big difference. You know, Chris Folk blocked shots. Kenyon, he can guard the point guard. He can slide his feet. He can put his arms between his legs and take the chest bump. As you're trying to back him in, he's like, I ain't giving no ground. Yep. You know, he can swipe the ball before it goes up. He can, not go, he can block the shot to the fifth row. He can grab it out the air and start to break. 
Um, you know, he, he was he was he could talk on the help defense. You know, Kenyon was always talking, always yep. talking, and then yep. he held people accountable that didn't have the same work ethic as him. Yes, he did. There's no so, question about that. Yeah. So when you you look at the examples that are set from our legends, if people would just use YouTube, other than you know looking at NBA highlights, look at some of your elders. We got some of the best ever. Uh, the Bearcats that, that played here, and they've got YouTube to to show people what it is that they did. If they could just study some of the passion that they played with, if they mm-hmm. can call and and say, "Hey, man, what when you did this? Show me this move." Every legend, everybody steals from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Either right. you're a thief or you're an innovator. Right. Oh, I. I... Totally agree with that. And, and and with that being said, just quickly back to, you know, John Brannon. Um and, and I think once he once he gets that full season of being able to be with the guys, um, in the off season, start to get in his recruiting classes, I think th- this program's just gonna rise, rise and rise. Do you agree with that? Oh, I totally agree. I love John Brannon. I love the system. It's free flowing. And uh, if you're a shooter and a ball handler, playmaker. You would love playing for Cincinnati. Uh, he's a yeah. guy that's always positive. He's going to put you in the right situation. And if, if people, if, if athletes can take constructive criticism, he's not going to curse you. He's not going to, but he's going to hold you accountable in a different way. And if you can take, you know, most athletes don't want to be coached. The great mm-hmm. ones want to be coached, but a lot of the athletes just want to play. They don't want to be coached. They just want to play. And they get, and because of social media, because there's so many people in the ear of the athletes, they have access. I'm glad I didn't have, you know, there was no Facebook back when I played. You know, there was there's nothing that was, you know, <laughs> there was no social media. Yeah. Back then, but now the guy has, uh, you know, one bad game where the coach sits him down because the athlete wasn't rebounding, the athlete wasn't getting back on defense, he was blowing assignments. Because of that, if you if that's there. It's going to be 10 to 15, 20 people inboxing that person saying, man, what's wrong with your coach? Why are he dogging you out? You know, because they yep. like that dude. And they yep. only, you know, trying to make sure that they being real to that person. If if you had Twitter when you played, how many times would Hugs have called you into his office about your tweets? <laughs> <laughs> Boy. I could see it. you. You got headlines without Twitter and Facebook. Without Twitter, <laughs> you didn't need that. No, oh man, I'm just kind of one of those guys that just would say what's on his mind, not really thinking about the ramifications. Yeah, yeah. and it would get me in trouble so much. So imagine Twitter. <laughs> you would have been hugs would have been like, God damn it, Terry. It would have been um, like an <laughs> since deleted tweet. <laughs> Uh, but no, you you amongst that that whole Final Four group, man, just personalities that just I, I'm sorry, you know, I, I was part of a great group, and there've been some great groups uh, since you guys played, but there just hasn't been personalities like that Final Four group in a collective group. There just hasn't been the personalities like that since then. Um, you guys definitely were uh, were special. And uh, this segment was sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Cincinnati. And the Bearcat Basketball Podcast is presented by the Healthcare Management Group. Uh, Terry, last question uh, about this Bearcat basketball team. Win or lose against Houston on Sunday, 
looking at the rest of the regular season schedule, what's your opinion? Um, can they run the table? I mean, there's there's beatable teams here if the Bearcats play, you know, good basketball. What, what are your thoughts with the with that one, two, three, four? I'm looking at five games after Houston. Uh, they could. I mean, you talk about Tulsa, Tulane, Memphis, SMU, and East Carolina. All those games are beatable. All winnable all of games. Them, yeah, all all winnable games. So, you know, if you talk about what well, they seven and seven now. What if they lose? They're seven and eight. Then they run off five in a row. So you're talking twelve and eight, starting from where they started from. Uh, you know, if you lose one down the stretch, you're talking about you know. Us that ten out of eleven, mm-hmm. or five or nine out of ten that you've won getting hot, uh, whether it's an NIT or whether they go into the tournament and really surprise somebody in the tournament. Yep. You know, Houston, they could, they might be on the same side of the bracket, they may be on the opposite side, but somebody can beat Houston in this conference. And if mm-hmm. that happens, if the number one guy is knocked out, number one team's knocked out, anybody's conference. So mm-hmm. I don't take anything away from it. These guys are starting to play at a really elite level, and it's the fact that they did it against Temple twice, you know, against the matchup zone, you know, against UCF, you know, those aren't the, the top echelon teams in the league, but those are the teams that, you know, UCF beat them the first time. And, you know, playing Temple, it's always a tough – it's always tough to play Temple. It is. It is. And I, I like the job Aaron McKee's doing there. I like Aaron McKee. He just got to get some local guys. Yeah. You know, when it comes to Philadelphia, in order to get people at Temple, it's kind of hard to go to New York Mm -hmm. to get some players to go to Temple. You know, it's a small school. It's it's cold down there. People don't understand the whole Philly vibe with five universities over in the Philly five over there in that area. So, you got to recruit locally, and there's a you know Philadelphia's got some great basketball, and if they he do. continue to do that, he'll be okay. Because you know Fran yeah. Dumfries, who used to coach there for many many years, is the acting AD, so he put him in power. So okay. he's going to give him a chance to build his program. That's that's helpful. That's helpful when the guy that's hired you is in a position to make sure you are you know doing well. And I think the other thing too, I've watched both games, and he's just always teaching. And I know he's got some young guys, and he's not really screaming and yelling every. He's really trying to pull guys aside and teach them, and understand that you know there's so many teachable moments in a game. And um, I, I really, I've, I've loved his rapport, and um, I hope he does well. And, and, and Terry, the other thing too, and I talked uh, last podcast when I was talking with Keith Jenkins from the Enquirer, I was talking to him about. I just love to see former players that played at that particular university do well. Uh, You know, Penny, I I think Penny is so good for college basketball. Lord have mercy, he's so good. Uh, I want to see, you know, Patrick Ewing do well. Oh, Juwan Howard. I mean, he's killing it. I mean, you talk about holding holding guys accountable uh, during the game. He's letting these guys know. I I I just love seeing that, Terry. You were part of that whole you know, generation with Penny and uh, with Juwan and, you know, he, was Aaron McKee a little after you or? No, he was right. the same time. He graduated same in time. but yeah. he didn't play him, but, yeah, he was the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's definitely great to, great to see. 
Um, now, now, Terry, you being from the West Coast, um, we've got to talk about West Coast hip hop. Oh, we've 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 got to jump into the top three greatest West Coast rappers of all time. Okay, you you ready for this? Yes, sir. Okay, I'm gonna let you go ahead and start with your list. Um, all I ask is you go from three to one. So you start with three, go to two, go to one, and then I'm gonna give you some thoughts. But you you you're gonna be the expert on this, being the West Coast guy. So. Why don't you run it down? Top three greatest West Coast rappers of all time. Rapper, oh my goodness! Uh, I got I got one, then I got two number twos. <laughs> so I'm gonna start at the bottom. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! So wait, you don't have you don't have a number three? You got two I don't have a number two? three. I got two number twos. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, so here's one we of my number two. twos. Ice Cube. For sure. Ice Cube is definitely, uh, you know, he changed the game out there. You know, um, I just love him. And his, his his voice is powerful. It's, you know, unabashedful. It's one of those things where he's going to say what he's going to say. So Ice Cube, Ice Cube with his beats, it was, you know, commanding beats. I love Ice Cube. Uh, yep. And then my, my second two was Tupac. Mm. And Tupac just, you know, he went from just, you know, trying to put everybody in the hood on a song to making like classics, and that's when mm-hmm. he started going to death row. He started coming up with, you know, the greatest by number one, and that's Snoop Dogg. Mm. LBC's yeah. finest. Snoop Dogg went to high school with Snoop. Snoop is to me. Now I got some honorable mentions. You know, E40, that's my honorable mention. But I, I, I got Snoop. To <laughs> wait, me. wait, 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 hold on, hold on. You, I'm not gonna let you. I'm not gonna let you skirt by E40. <laughs> I'm not let you. Wait a minute. You've got E40 as honorable mention? The honorable mention, man. E40. Sprinkle yes. me, man. Sprinkle, Sprinkle me, man. Yes. <laughs> yep. Nope. E40. Awesome. Uh, uh, not Daz. Daz is okay. I'm talking about. Uh, you got to have You got two short in there. there. You got to have Corrupt. E40. Corrupt oh, yeah. was in there. Uh, you know, Too Short was okay. You know, he he made some good party music, but he didn't really make anything memor- memorable. It was it was for you know he was talking about girls and bees and all this other stuff. So he made <laughs> stuff that made you dance at the party, but it wasn't some stuff that you want to play in front of your kids and say, "Hey, write this down." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if anybody, you couldn't do, if, you couldn't do a any, seminar on it. <laughs> if any parents telling them to write down Too Short lyrics. Well, they got they got some issues. I actually met too short. I so I got to tell this quick story. So I'm in Las Vegas, and a friend of mine, uh, Todd Wars, who went to UC with me, and he was a communication major as well. He just on a whim uh, up and moved to Las Vegas, and he started working in the the club industry and the promotion. So he was working at a club, and I was out in Vegas for an AU tournament. And he told me, "Hey, come to my club. We'll, we'll get you VIP." I show up. I'm in VIP. Uh, Jermaine O'Neal is there. Uh, NBA guy, he's got a VIP table, and Wyclef Jean was there for for what I'm not even sure reason. But all of a sudden, out of the blue, Too Short gets on this like small stage and performs. Mm. And after it's over, Too Short went to this VIP area, and I and I said to my buddy Todd, I said, "Can I? Am I allowed to go over there?" And he's like, "You put this wristband, walk over." So I walk up to Too Short, and man, he was the nicest dude, Terry. Yeah, he he's sat cool. there and. T- he sat there and talked to me. We went and got a drink, and he just he's like, hey, man, this is my buddy right here, and talked to his buddy. I'm like, am I really talking to Too Short? 
Now, that was <laughs> that was that was fun. But um, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. You were you were talking. You were going in on Snoop. Yeah, Snoop is uh, you know, when when Snoop got out of jail and he was, you know, back and he had the Gumby, the high top fade, you know, the split mm-hmm. down the middle, real cool. He had his own language, <laughs> and so he hung out with uh. Another guy from Long Beach that played on my basketball team, Nate Dog, and Man. you know, and, and Warren G is from Long Beach, but he went to another school. He went to Jordan High School, and so they formed this group. You know, Nate Dog, you dropped out of the basketball team because we both was on JV. But when I played, my uh, freshman, my sophomore year, they didn't have ninth grade in high school on the West Coast, and it was women. They what? Yeah, ninth grade in high school wasn't added in California until I was a senior. Wow. Yeah, Never so heard junior that. high okay. was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. That's interesting. In high school okay. was tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. So by the time I was a sophomore, uh Nate dropped off the basketball team to start singing. And I was like, Man, this cat singing? Like this is, he was <laughs> thug, you know, he used to steal, he used to do all this stuff and I'm like, Yeah, he formed his group, him, Snoop and Warren G. Called two one three, like what? And then so he took Snoop to the studio where Dr. Dre was uh, performing um, world class wrecking crew. He was in, he was in the studio and then he was making his Chronic album. And then when Warren G went over there and put on that My Name Is D Nice instrumental, and Dre said, "All right, get in the booth." And he got in the booth and he rhymed for about ten minutes, man, and put everybody in the studio. In a in a in a rap, and mm. when he got out, Dre said, "Here, you ain't going nowhere. <laughs> Get the contract ready." And he yeah. at that moment start working on the Chronic album. Mm-hmm. Classic, classic. Mm-hmm. So so wait, you, did you know? So you knew Warren G and Corrupt. I didn't know Corrupt. I knew Warren. G. I met Corrupt. So we got back from the Final Four. Um, we got back from the Final Four, and I had knew that because I heard on the radio that the uh, Dr. Dre and all of them were going to be playing in Dayton. So they were doing the tour. Mm-hmm. So when we got back, we was going to prime time. And I said, <laughs> 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 you know, prime time, baby. A, oh, boy, that was dangerous. Boy. So we we about to go to prime time, and I see this big bus parked in front with a chronic leak on the front. I said, that's Dr. Dre and Snoop. I said, come on, Snoop's here. So Cora was like, yeah, man, because you keep talking about you know this cat. You don't know him. We're going to see if you know him. All right, come on. So we walk in there, and the owner, the line is wrapped around the corner, and the owner is, like, waving us up. We all had our UC sweatsuits from the Final Four. It was like six of us. It was me, Nick, Corey, AD, Eric, Terrence. So we, we walk in there, and they're in the VIP section, and it's all roped off, and it's just, like, standing room only. And I'm like, Snoop. And he turned around. He goes, T-Nail, bring your butt all up here. So oh, Corey was like, oh, it's on. Nick was like, I ain't riding nobody jock. <laughs> Nick walked in the crowd. So I go up there and I meet. So Snoop gave me love. And uh, he, he's like, Dr. Dre, this is my boy T-Nail, man. He said, man, y'all put Long Beach on the map. I appreciate that. He introduced me to Corrupt, Daz, Lady of Rage, RBX. Uh, they, they was all there. And so the server came out, and she had one of those serving trays, and she had 25 gin and juices. Oh, <laughs> and, she, and she sat them down. I'm sitting over, and I tell this story to people, and I said, this is how focused they were, because they were like a young 
hungry basketball team because all these people around, all these ladies around, and corrupt and Daz are sitting face-to-face with each other talking about, look what I just wrote. Look what I just came up with. And they're going back mm-hmm. and forth, like, tell me how this sounds. And they was mm-hmm. rapping to each other. There was no girls up on the stage. They weren't trying to go after the women in the, in the audience. Like, they were so laser-focused on being great because they knew they had something. And Snoop came and sat with me. Dre came, and Dre had on um, this hat that I had sent a bunch of hats to, to my, my boys, the twins that Warren G produced. Mm-hmm. But when he got to the studio, Dre said, let me get that hat. It was a white, no, it was a black C, uh, UC hat with the, with the white C-paw. Mm-hmm. And so Dre used it for Compton, you know, and he went on MTV, and that was the first time people saw yep. people with gear on from, from UC. And yeah, so I remember like, that. Yeah, what's up, man? Yeah. So, we, you know, we gave love. We, we dapped. We hung out. And, you know, me and Corey, we, we hung out for a long time with those guys, man. That's great, man. That's that's a great that's a great story. Uh, so so Nick Nick was too cool for school. He yeah, Nick, out. I ain't riding nobody's jock. That's funny. I can, I can yeah. hear him saying that. Yeah, um, we finally called him up on stage. Uh, we finally he, called he, him up on stage. He ended up coming on stage. Yeah, he came on he came on stage, but he didn't want to go up there. Like he didn't want to just he wanted somebody to call him up there. <laughs> he didn't want to be cool a group school. Well, I'll tell you a quick. I'll tell you a quick story. So, of course, I grew up on you know all that hip hop as well, just like you did, and um, I, I liked Warren G. But I was a big Dog Pound fan, and yes, um, Dog Food was my album. And it was yeah. so I had I had a good friend. I got two good friends, Chad and Todd Turner, these two brothers, and we went to high school together. And they would have parties every Friday and Saturday night, and their father worked at Ford. And his, their father worked at night, so they would have parties every weekend. And I'm telling you, Dog Pound album was played from the beginning to the end of the party every weekend. People were yeah. so sick of us playing that, right? And so this was back, this was like 1995. And fast forward years later, I'm talking with talking Chad. With and I'm like, man, I said, I would love to meet the dog pound one day. I said, man, I said, if I ever get a picture with them, I said, I'm sending it to you. He's like, man, you'll never see them. Man, don't you know, I'm in L.A. one day, and I get invited to an event. A friend of mine was had put on an event for K-Swiss, the shoes. Yes. And I show up to it just thinking it was a fashion thing, and they had performers, and they had the stage set up. And Warren G performed, the Dog Pound performed, and I'm like, oh my gosh! So I told my buddy who was part of the event. I said, I gotta meet him. He's like, man, I don't, I don't think it's possible, but he's like, I'll try my best. And so they just finished performing, and, and my buddy Blake, who's from Cincinnati, he told me, he says, man, go back there. Their bus is back there. Just, just go back there real quick. So I walked back there, and man, they're just standing there talking. I rolled up on Warren G. I was like, hey, man, what's up? Uh, I said, my name is Alex. I'm from Cincinnati. He said, you from Cincinnati? He's like, my my family lives in Indianapolis. He's like, man, it's tough around there. And I was like, it's not as tough as out here. So, so, I, so I'm literally standing on the street talking to Warren G for a little bit. We end up taking a picture together. I'll, I'll send that to you. And then there's Krupp. Well, Daz took off. He got in the SUV and he took off. And Krupp's talking to him talking to everybody so i roll over to him and i say hey, corrupt man i said i gotta tell you something and he kind of looks at me and i'm like in high school 
my buddies and I, all we would do is play the dog food album. And he looked at me and he said, man, your mom lets you listen to that? And I said, she didn't know about it. And, and I want to tell you something, too. I went to the, you'll love this part, too. I went to that event not knowing what it was. So I literally had on a T-shirt, like a Curtis Bosick T-shirt, one that was like two sizes too small. So it was an extra medium. And I had on like some hoop shorts. And, and Corrupt starts going, bro, what do you, you eat weights? Like, what? what did you, he was like, were you doing push-ups while we were performing? Man, he went off on me for like, He's like, you look like my bodyguard. He's like, I think you could beat up my bodyguard. Hey, man, come here and fight this guy. I'm like, oh, my Lord. <laughs> I'll send you the picture of Corrupt and I. So I, I got, I got, I had to tell you that story. So um, <laughs> let me – now, Tina, let me give you my top three, okay? Yes, sir. I'm going to go three three to one. So number three is your number one. My number three is Snoop Dogg. And the reason I have him at, at three um, – and honestly, he could easily be number one because if you, if you take the – Chronic and Doggy Style, uh, those two projects alone put him in a in a special bracket, man. His, that I think his, Im- oh for sure, his impact on the West Coast, you know, music was was so enormous. I mean that, um, you know, G Thang, like I mean the video when he but his, wake- his first drop was deep cover. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, so man, I, I went was- to the Compton Swap Meet when I got back. Uh, mm-hmm. I got back, went back home, and I brought that back. And I said, Corey, listen what I got. And Corey played that thing on his big old <laughs> hood speakers. It was like seven feet tall with 15-inch subwoofers all up and down to them. He played that thing in the Dabney Hall like five hours in a row one time. He memorized the song really? that night. Yes. He said, man, this cat is nice. Where do you, you know him from? I said, we went to high school together. Hey, you don't know this cat. I'm uh-huh. like, Okay. But that song went double platinum. That, his first album, his first really? his first single went double platinum. Deep cover. Creep, creep with me as I crawled through the hood, maniac. Mm-hmm. Whole culture, 
you know, it's still in 2021. It still exists uh, to the day. And he wasn't lyrically maybe the greatest, um, sonically, you know, maybe not the But I'm telling you, the emotion, uh, what he was talking about was so authentic, and you just you just really felt it, man. And so Pac will always be. And, and you got to remember, too, um, I've talked about this before on the podcast. When I was playing for the Bearcats, man, that, that Machiavelli album was on constant replay. You already know. And I, oh, like, oh, Hail Mary, Woo, hit him up. <laughs> yes. Man. Yes. But I tell you, yes. I got an honorable mention. Your your honorable mention was, was one of them was E-40. My honorable mention, who I think uh, could go down as, as, as one of the greats, greats, uh, depending on what kind of projects he puts out here soon, is, is, is Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, man, he's a he's amazing, man. Yes, he needs he needs a bigger catalog. He but does. Yes, he is. He is. He sure he sure does, man. He he and he said he picks and chooses when he's gonna drop, you know, some. some and I love that. And, yeah, for sure. That. It's kind of old school. It's old school. Yeah, I'm gonna give you. It's like Michael Jackson. I'm gonna give you something every two years, maybe <laughs> even three years, but it's gonna be classic. I ain't gonna just keep putting stuff out like guys put out songs and they have to, you know, have like eight collabs on their album to do a 10 album deal. Right. You know, because right. They, they can't write enough stuff. They write one verse. Hey, get on this song. I'll pay you 50,000. And they still, you know, they got a, they got an album. They putting out something, you know, two albums a year. It's like, come on, man, stop. So true. Just so stop. True. Create classics. Right. No question. Well, Carrie, as always, you know, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And I told you this when I text you. Every time you come on, um, our numbers are extremely high. You know, people love to hear your, your analysis and your breakdown. I think you do a great job of not only giving the fans uh, a perspective that's, you know, from a player standpoint to think about this, but then you tie in stuff that, to help them understand. You know, you kind of bring it down to a level where you're not, you're not talking over their heads sometimes. You know, you can bring it down and say, for example, or when I played, and you always tie in good stories. So, mm-hmm. got to keep you on, man. Gotta Appreciate you, brother. On. Anytime. You know, I like you know, I like hanging with you, Meech. Oh yeah, for sure, man. You know what? I have not been to one game this year. Um, I know it's obviously it's limited people coming, but this is the first. I mean, this is so weird for me just watching everything on on TV. How is it there at the games? Because you're you're there. At the home games, at least, right? Yeah, they try their best to have an atmosphere with excitement, with, you know, crowd noise pumped in, with music playing. But, you know, if this was the old Fifth Third Arena, it would be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> the new one, this new arena, so beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's so You know, it's so much glamour and, you know, there's so much stories on the walls. They did a good job of capturing the, you know, the legends and, and, and having their stats and the pictures and all. I mean, it's just a beautiful place to be, even when it's, you know, it's not packed right now. But it's not, it's nothing like a packed arena. And once we get back to having some normalcy, it's going to be it's gonna be good. I like the coach. I like our system. Uh, our, our arena is second to none. And, you know, we're going to get some good – we're going to get some good talent here uh, to, to help reinforcements. You know, we, he didn't recruit anybody. Because he says he wants to, he doesn't want to recruit a high school kid that he didn't see. Mm-hmm. So he hmm. wants to wait, and so you're going to see, he's going to get his guys late, and he's going to check the market for one transfer, whether you know a Julius type, not necessarily a grad transfer, but somebody who's looking to change their situation. 
and uh, and those are going to be easy to come by. You know, six, two years ago, 600-plus people were in the transport portal. A year before that, it was 500-something. Last year, it was 800-and-something. This year, it's going to be about 1,000. So it's going to be some talent out there. Man, I might jump in the portal. Somebody okay. might pick me up. <laughs> I can still shoot a little bit, but, man, that's that's amazing. Oh, that's right. That's 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 good on the recruiting because I know some folks, uh, Bearcat fans, were tweeting out questions about what was going on with recruiting. So that's that's definitely good feedback, and I had not heard that yet. So well, he doesn't want to take the guy because he's the only guy available. You know, right. you want to. He needs a he needs some shot blocking. He needs some some muscle. Um, but he, you know, more importantly, he wants to recruit for his system. If he's going, you know, one out, I mean, one in and four out. He's going to need some taller guards that he wants to, you know, shoot threes. He wants three-point shooters. He wants snipers. I don't know if you've seen, you know, Arkansas play yet, but I had my, my partner who works at UC, Mark Brathman. He's telling me, man, you got to watch Arkansas, man. They All they do is they shoot threes. And this, <laughs> and this, you know, Arkansas and um, Alabama. He was talking about Alabama. Mm-hmm. You know, all they do is shoot threes. And I say, well, that's exactly how coach wants to play. You know, he wants to shoot that, and he wants to be exciting. And, you know, so when we get the talent, we're getting to that point where we're attacking and shooting threes. But, you know, there's going to be some reinforcements that he's going to get off the wire, he's going to bring in. And Cincinnati basketball is going nowhere. It's here to stay. Yep. Yep. Love it. Love it. Terry, appreciate you coming on the Bearcat Basketball Podcast presented by the Healthcare Management Group. And um, I'll definitely be back in touch, man, to have you back on before, uh, maybe before we jump into uh, conference uh, tournament play. Sound good? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Works for me, brother. All right, brother. Let me know if you need anything, man, with the family. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. All right, Terry. Talk to you, brother. Be safe. Yes, sir. I want to thank everyone for listening to Season 2 of The Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Once again, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. On Snapchat, BigMeach41. And I'm now dancing on TikTok at Alex Meacham41. I appreciate everyone listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats!